We're going to get started, everybody. Welcome to the Achieving Life Work Goals by Putting Program First workshop. Before we get started, uh, please turn off all your cell phones and electronic equipment. This session is being taped. Anyone wishing to share will be required to sign the speaker's release form before sharing. And that form can be right up here. Uh, to protect anonymity, no photography, audio, and or visual recording as well. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and don't represent Region 2 or OA as a whole. My name is Mary. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. And you're a facilitator for this meeting. Will you please join me in serenity, sir? God? Grant me this serenity to accept the things I can change. Change the things I can. I'll now read the promises from the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. The promises. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We'll not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We'll comprehend the word serenity and we will know a new peace. No matter how far down the scale we've gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We'll lose interest in ourselves and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We'll intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize what God is doing for us that we cannot do for ourselves. Okay, well, I'm going to introduce the speakers on the panel. Uh, the first speaker will be Ron, the second speaker, Francie, and the third will be Stephanie. And then after the last speaker is finished, we'll have our speakers respond to questions uh, from an ask it basket. And uh, we'll start that around as soon as the last person is finished speaking. Okay, so, Ron, would you like to start? Hi, I'm Ron, a grateful recovering compulsive reader. And, uh, well, let's see. When I uh, um, was growing up, uh, I have a compulsive reader for a mother and alcoholic for a father. The... Uh, um, so I grew up uh, with a lot of food in the house, if you can imagine. And the way that my mother showed her love for her kid, I have an older brother and a younger sister, but she showed her love was through food, especially through sweets. And so for me, the consumption of sweets has always equaled my mother's love. And that has been a driving force in my life. So before program, all I wanted to do was just indulge myself in food. And uh, I took everything personally. You know, everything was all about me. I was the center of the world, and uh, anytime anybody said something or if they had gas, it looked funny, I took it personally, you know, because that was something about me. So um, I was uh, um, just mission in this program. I was uh, the one kid who was uh, uh, always fat growing up in school, was never picked for teams. 
So a little bit about you know, my background. Um, when I, when I, in the early 70s, um, I married a woman in my first marriage who was very much like my mother, and uh, she uh, kind of replaced her in, in my life. And so at that point, I realized that I can now see that I became more of a volunteer than a victim, but it was familiar, and so I, I kept it up. Um, in uh, 1989, uh, my mother died, and it was like a spell was broken, and you know, ding dong, the witch is dead, so to speak. And so I was, <laughs> I was able to, uh, uh, at the invitation of, of of a friend, I was I said, well, this might be an invitation for change in my life, and so I did. So in um, in June or you know, in June of 1989, I I uh, asked for a divorce and I moved out of the house, and I had a, uh, a five-year-old son at that time, and so came with me. We had I ended up with joint custody. Well, here I am on my own, uh, summer of 1989, and I'm thinking, well, I'm at an apartment, and uh, I'm fat, and what am I going to do now? So I was watching television one night, eating my usual menu of uh, Fritos and bean dip, just as starters, and I saw a commercial on television from um, Tommy Lasorda, who said, um, I've lost all this weight using SlimFast. Well, I thought, well, if you can do it, I can certainly do it. So that's what I did. So for a year... I went on slim fast and I lost my weight and I got down to my maintenance weight and then I have a dilemma. What do I do now? Well, I had a friend who was uh, um, who was in OA and at one of my um, uh, therapy sessions she suggested that I might consider that because I thought if I stop the slim fast I'll gain all my weight back and uh, and just want to die. If I continue taking it and had nothing but slim fast I'd die anyhow. So it's pretty hopeless. Well, she invited me to a meeting, which I went to. So that gave me hope. That was in uh, June of 1990 when I went to my first meeting. Um, the first couple of years, I basically enmeshed myself in the program, just total immersion. I had a sponsor, went to meetings, had service, all the stuff, um, just everything I could possibly do with, with program, just, just to get it. And uh, I'd say, so about after uh, uh, two years, I think I really... Um, you know, got into the, to the groove with the program, and I had a commitment because I knew that um, you know, anything else would be disaster for me. I I knew I um, uh, had a. Uh, I know there's always a relapse in me, but I don't know if there's ever another recovery. I tested that theory out in November of uh, 1990. I went out and uh, for a little while and came back in, and that was the last relapse that I had. So, on November 22nd of 1990 was my abstinence date. So what I did then is I thought, okay, uh, now that I've gotten a couple of years uh, behind me, what do I, uh, what do I want to do? How do I want to live life? Now that the uh, program has promised me a new way of living. So my first goal was to be able to have a steady job. Uh, prior to this, the longest I'd ever been working at any one place was five years. That was my record. And uh, I thought, you know, it'd be nice to uh, find a job where I can work more well than five years and not get fired from. And uh, that would be that would be nice. So, in 1994, I started a new job, and uh, I, uh, um, I decided I'm going to um, do all the things I've learned in this program. All the challenges of having uh, employment came up to me just like before. No matter where I go, there I am. But this time, I had the program behind me, and I was able to meet all the challenges at work um, with the new way of living, with using the program and the steps. I no longer was a victim. I was able to, uh, to work through situations. And so as a result, 13 and a half years later, I'm still there. So that felt pretty good. 
The other thing was that uh, I've always had a goal that I wanted to um, earn more than my age. Well, uh, I, I finally made attained that a couple of years ago, and I'm still there, so thank God for that. And uh, as I get older, why the gap, you know, anyhow. Another uh, a major goal of mine um, in, is to, uh, was to have a healthy marriage relationship. And what I, what I did is I met um, someone in, in program, and that was the best thing that happened in my life as far as the relationship goes, because I'm able to have a relationship with someone that's in program. We understand each other. We understand program. Uh, we can eat three meals a day, uh, abstinent meals together, and, and help support each other in the program. So I've got support in program and out in, in the marriage and outside the marriage. So that helps a lot there. Plus, whenever um, the usual um, challenges come up in any relationship, we have the 12 steps to work through them. I can't tell you how many 10 steps that I've had to do, but, uh, um, you know, it, it, it's well worth it, and the program has taught me that. And, uh, and the cycle that uh, I've had, it usually had, it started with, uh, before I was able to admit I did something wrong and make amends to it, it was probably a couple of years, and it slowly has compressed itself, where now it can actually be a few hours in some cases. So that's great progress using this uh, program. Also, I, um, another goal is, was I wanted to raise my son in a, uh, in a healthy way. Now, I have joint custody of my son, and when I got in the program, um, um, he, was, he was born in 1984, so he was about six years old. And with joint custody, I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to make the best possible relationship I could with him. So I had to fight for joint custody, first of all. My ex wanted to have full custody, and I knew a lot of dads would have just said, that's fine, I'll send you a check and just you know, get him out of my life. Uh, I wasn't an absentee dad. I fought for my son. I was with him uh, the whole time. I, I took him to school. We, I took him to the um, Boy Scouts. And matter of fact, he's, he's uh, worked to be an Eagle Scout. And I'm real proud that I was able to take my son through that, even though he has a learning disability, um, through this program, through, this, through the patience that I have learned and how to handle situations with people. That has made all the difference. Without this program, um, I would have been devastated. I, a lot of times I would have just given up, would have just gone back in the food and just said, you know, um, screw it. This is... Uh, this isn't worth it. But because I've had this uh, program, it has made all the difference. One of the things about it, too, is that if I, um, when I first started in the program, you know, the first thing I did is I, I took leaps of faith. And uh, because I didn't have any critical evidence to prove to me that anything would work. So I took the first leap of faith, and guess what? I had successful results. So the next time a challenging situation came up, I was able to look back and say, I've got empirical evidence that says that this works. So that reinforces my ability to trust and to take another leap of faith. And that successively has piled up over the years. So I have a huge storehouse now of empirical evidence that says it's okay to take a leap of faith and, and work this program. And that's what has helped sustain me throughout these years. One of the things that uh, I have gotten as a benefit out of, of this program is I've wanted to have a, uh, a meaningful faith. And that's what this program has done for me. Um, I was born and raised a Catholic. When I got out of high school, I went to college, and as soon as I moved out of the house, I couldn't wait to stop going to church, and I did. I, I didn't go back and show uh, about 1988 or so, when I thought I wanted to give my son an exposure to some kind of bringing up, so I thought, okay, I'll drop him off to Sunday school class, and I'll just go sit in the back of the church and take a nap. And uh, um, as time went on, um, and when I got into this program, this program reminded me that 
that my God is, is more than just something out there that, uh, that I see on Sundays. That, in fact, my higher power is something that wants and cares about me every inch, every minute of the day. And that's what really um, helps me. So that has, uh, has been just a real um, meaningful situation for me because I, I now have a God that's portable. I can take him with me everywhere I go. And I just uh, I love the fact that we have uh, um, this ability in this program to have a higher power. Because after all, this is a spiritual solution to a problem of ours, which is compulsive overeating. Um, another goal of mine is then to have some mental stability and mental um, stimulation. Before I got in the program, um, I got out of, co- out of college, got to work, and you know my, my brain basically went in the neutral, and I could care less about anything else that was going on around me. wasn't wasn't stimulated at all. But through this program, um, I've been able to lift the fog of compulsive overeating. I've had some clarity, and as a result of that, I've had an, an, an ability to to read books and to uh, um, enhance my uh, understanding of ideas. Um, before this. Gosh, I think it might have been a book of the year club, you know. But now I can read several books during a year and uh, and increase my overall knowledge. And that has been a real stimulating goal for me because I know that, and I've heard it, that the more mental stimulation you have, especially as you go on in your years, the more likely you're going to be able to maintain uh, alert uh, stimulation and uh, livelihood. So that um, has been a real good goal of mine, and this program has allowed me to do that. Um, and finally... One of my goals is to be able to have a meaningful vacation. I can take a vacation and 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 actually be there, be present for it, and know where I've been and not just what I've eaten. And uh, you know that's that's you know, before all I did was I, I went on a vacation. All I did was eat. And I had to go home and look at the pictures to see where I was, you know. And uh, but now I know that uh, I've been able to actually go on a cruise. And you know they're notorious for. All of their their buffets and everything on yeah, uh, I mean even getting on the uh, the, the uh, cruise director had said you know hey some of you are coming on as passengers some of you are going to leave as cargo you know, and uh, I, I made a commitment that I was not going to leave as cargo and you know what I didn't have to because this program kept me clean sober and absent through this whole uh, uh, time and it has been just a remarkable um, experience for me I can live life now on life's terms like I said you can rocket to the next dimension. And one of the things I'd like to uh, close with is a, um, a couple of uh, words from the uh, big book in the chapter, A Vision for You. This talks about achieving your life goals. It says that, um, um, yes, there is a substitute for all of our pain and suffering and, and recovery, and it's, it's a fellowship. It's a fellowship and Overeaters Anonymous. There you will find release from care, boredom, and worry. Your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at last. The most satisfactory of your years in existence lie ahead. Thus we find fellowship, and so will you. The age of miracles is still with us. Our own recovery proves that. And finally, it talks about this book, and it says, you know, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more and more to us and to you. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot translate something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. 
Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet us, some of us, as you trudge the road to happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you. We make, we're going to make a little change. We're going to uh, pass the Ask It Basket now because we have um, lots of people here. We want to be sure that you remember your questions. And this is Ron that just spoke, and then Francis second, and Stephanie is third. So I'm going to pass this out. We'll take just a moment if you want to ask any questions. Okay, and our next speaker will be Francie. I'm Francie, a compulsive overeater. And I am the 11th of 12 children from the same mother and father. And um, food was not something that we had a lot of growing up, so um, I learned... um, about food really early on that I uh, it meant a lot to me well food and the bathroom and um, um, at the early age of three I recall asking my mom mom when I die and go to heaven can I have all the food I want and I was very serious and my mom um, she was um, well Irish Catholic and um, she said Francis when you die and go to heaven, you won't need food. You'll have Jesus. And um, I felt guilty because inside I, well, you know, yes, I wanted God. But inside I really wanted the food desperately. Um, there was no such thing as a pantry. And we absolutely could never open the fridge. Well, and why would we? There was no food. I mean, no extra food to eat. The food was divvied out. Um, so um, food was always very important to me. And the thoughts of just use your willpower. Well, I always used my willpower and, um, you know, and I always wanted to eat, eat, eat. Um, I have eight brothers and I remember having five teenage brothers in the 60s and um, they always would get three sandwiches every day. I would get one. Well, not that the sandwich meant that much, but, you know, there wasn't much else to eat at lunch and I could eat far more than that. I went through two sets of hunger pangs every day. So I just remember food was, was so precious to me. I had friends who would have extra money, want to buy me all kinds of extra things as far as food, but the rules were you can't eat between meals, Francie, because, you know, you'll get fat. So um, I followed the rules. And um, my mother would even call me in high school when I was at a friend's house to say, are you drinking the Sanilac? I would have to make the Sanilac, the powdered um, milk. Um, and that's what I drank in high school. Now, mind you, I was an athlete, and I exercised a lot because I played uh, varsity volleyball, tennis, and volley tennis. And But she was all, everyone, mind you, I had food Nazis in my family, 11 of them at least, plus everyone else that always saw me eating. So I was never really allowed to eat much in front of people. But obviously I did eat because um, when I came into program, um, I, well, anyway, I have, I have successfully kept off uh, 50, about 50 pounds for about six and a half years now. But I was always trying to keep off some weight. And I had about maybe 10 or 15 pounds to lose as a child, but I always thought I had at least 20 to 30 because I was, it was back in the days of um, 
I can't even remember her name, but when it, very skinny, yeah, Twiggy, yes, Twiggy. And um, I even had teachers telling me I was too fat when I weighed 130, and um, I mean literally telling me I was too heavy, especially for a PE major. So that's where I come from. So now you get the picture of the food Nazi in my, the food Nazis in my life. Um, but as far as achieving life goals, most of my goals were achieved while I was still in my disease, uh, secretly practicing my disease, because heaven forbid if I should eat in front of anyone in the PE department at San Diego State. Um, but um, so I have achieved, you know, the college degree, the master's and credentials, um, getting married and having children and um, the job within my disease and always up and down yo-yo on the scale. Um, but as far as the actual, the sobriety, emotional sobriety, spiritual sobriety, and physical sobriety, that has only come through a program. There's no way I could have ever kept 50 pounds off. In fact, I have taken it off about three or four times in adulthood, and the most I've ever kept it off was about almost two whole months before program. And um, as far as the emotional sobriety, I've learned to try to soften my voice um, it's a little different now that I'm in the change of life. But uh, soften the voice instead of saying, did you call so-and-so? How about, did you get a chance to call so-and-so? You know, put a little softener on, on my questions. And um, things like that. I've walked through my fears. Um, I'm technologically challenged, or I consider myself to be. And that was a lot of my step four um, inventory this past year. And um, with my job um, I teach students with severe disabilities yet we do need to learn a lot of other there's a lot of programs out there for these students and so I did go to three in services and I did learn a lot I was I was definitely afraid of oh but I don't know how to do this or that well I found out I am not the only one that doesn't know how to do these things and and I heard someone on a, in one of these in services just going tapping away so fast on a keyboard and then I realized I am at least well I am 20 or 30 years older than this person she was born in the age of the computers. I wasn't. And that's why I'm a little slower to learn all of these things. But what I have learned from program and, and always putting my program first is to give myself a break and realize my boundaries. Sure, I'm not the computer genius or what I think this person is. I am not. I'm trying to compare myself to myself only and make progress, not perfection. Start with where I am and take it from there and ask for help and and it's i'm amazed still that i do get the help that i need when i ask for help not wine 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 but you know get it nicely and also when i am not so happy um with certain people they could be co-workers for example rather than speak emotionally when I want to speak emotionally, I go first for the phone. I use the tools. I call someone from program. And, boy, do I get much better results than if I were to say what I'm thinking to the person. So I am having better clarity of mind and thinking first and using program people. I write. I love writing, so I write, write, write. I have a blessings journal. I call it blessings or gratitude journal. Um, I also have a God box, which I, I use. I love using the God box. And and for anyone who doesn't have it, I like, well, I just happen to pick up something that I really like the looks of. And when I have had so many difficulties with certain 
um, well, I have two children with, with certain problems. I'll write something down, fold it over. I always like to date mine, put it in there. And then maybe a week or a few days later, I open it up and it's like, wow, that's disappeared and I can empty it. And it's just been wonderful for me because the moment I write it down, it's like it disappears because I can get very anxiety ridden over certain issues. Well, just about any issue. Um, during, um, well, on October 26, 2003, my whole neighborhood burned down, uh, except for two houses. My house did burn down. And um, actually, well, three people in my family lost our homes. And um, I have always said, and I'll say it again, I feel very sorry for people who do not have a program of recovery to go to. And I felt very fortunate that I had a program of recovery to go to because literally, while um, as soon as we found a safe place to go to that was not burning down, that's when I was able to make a phone call and say, our house is probably burning down. And gee, no sooner than I made that phone call, it was to someone in program. Actually, I must have spoken to quite a few people in program. But within a week, um, on my doorstep, I received a lot of things, clothing, et cetera, from someone else in program, a few people in program. Um, everyone just enveloped, enveloped me with support, um, phone calls, all kinds of things. And I mean, a lot of people would, and I know how I am, I would have eaten, I would have, it would have been a great excuse to eat, to overeat, to do whatever, or to not eat, either way. And um, I didn't have to go there because I had so many of you to call, so many uh, program people to call, and literature, and writing, and I, the grief for me, it didn't hit for about three months, and then I had to write another journal, a whole grief journal related to that. But all of those things were tools for me, and it, to help walk me through my fears. And the rebuilding process was not that simple, because one week before the foundation was finally poured, I was so excited over the soil, the new soil that was laid down that I was walking to the so-called backyard and fell four and a half feet and broke my foot. So, and as I was getting up, I just pretended it didn't hurt and just said, well, my foot kind of hurts. And then, you know, about two hours later, found out it was, you know, a pretty bad break and um, hobbled around um, on little crutches for about six weeks. And, but it was literally one, then literally one step after another, but, um, and the resentment did start to show up, the resentment of how this happened and, and why, and, you know, on and on and on. But program is what kept me emotionally sober. And the physical sobriety, it's all program, and it's all the people using the steps. Um, the literature has helped. And for anyone, um, for me personally, when I, I love my For Today book, and as I... Soon after the house burned down, I flipped over to, to December 22nd. It just happened to flip it over, and I don't have it with me today, but it, it's, uh, it says something about um, do not let anything disturb your serenity no matter what happens, even if your whole world should seem to fall apart. Well, that kind of is what was going on at the time. And surrender all to God and then lay there in his bosom and, and be at rest. And that basically is the way it was for me, and just continually, continuously praying and meditating and coming to meetings, hearing everyone's experience, strength, and hope. And my husband and I just celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary, which 
I'm sure wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for program and um, because I'm, I'm able to be, well, I'm trying to be more calm about other things. And as far as jobs, um, I've managed to finally stay at one job site for 11 years, whereas in the past, even though I liked a job, it's like, well, but I could work at such and such. And it's like, no, why do that to yourself? Finally, it's because program has taught me, no, if you like something, you know, find your boundaries. I have better boundaries around coworkers, siblings, just everyone. And again, putting program first is what's kept me um, a, a lot more sane, and it's, it has helped me immensely um, in keeping, reaching my goals and helping me maintain my abstinence and sobriety. Thank you. If we can keep the basket basket going around, please, for all the speakers. Okay, well, our third and final speaker is going to be Stephanie. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Stephanie, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And gratefully, today I'm in recovery. Thank you, God. Oh, let's see. Um, I always like to say that. I believe I was born as a compulsive overeater, and um, mine, um, I just remember doing a lot of dieting and exercising, even at a very young age. Um, I remember um, having my little sister and I, she's four years younger than I, one summer going to um, some friends of ours' house, we were going to spend the day, and I had um, a little bottle with me that was kind of a purple-blue color, and that was going to be my lunch for the day. Um, it was some fad diet at the time. It was a liquid protein diet. And I have to say, I was, I was an average-sized child looking back on the pictures, but in my head, I felt like I was huge. And that kind of that twiggy, I guess, you know, thinking that I needed to be something that I really wasn't. Um, I was always trying to find something that was going to fix me. And I was always trying this diet or that diet. And in my early 20s, I remember every year I would say, like, this is going to be the year that I get in that bathing suit. And summer would come and go, and I wasn't. And one day I um, said, I know enough about food um, and dieting, but I need support. And I thought of Weight Watchers, and I went to go look them up in the white pages. And I could hear this voice inside my head say, Overeaters Anonymous. And I looked it up, and there it was. And I called, and the woman said, oh, there's a meeting um, tomorrow evening. And I went, <clears throat> sat in the back of those the room and cried because I had finally found the answer to my problem. And um, I came back, <clears throat> um, did a lot of what you suggested, but not everything, came back um, for about five or six years and then left for about the same amount of time. And then um, got up to over 200 pounds and I was miserable. I was 36 and I felt like I was 56. And um, my knee started giving out on me because I was carrying so much extra weight and I said, you know, Overeaters Anonymous was the only thing that ever worked in my life. And so I was willing at that time to come back. And I've been back um, in August, hopefully, um, to my higher power in the program. I'll celebrate six years of continuous abstinence. And um, thank you. And, uh, you know, that was longer than the first time. And so I remember last year on my birthday, I was kind of shaky because I didn't want to leave, but um, something that I'm continuously learning is that this is a program of one day at a time, 
and that I, Stephanie O, am a compulsive person. <laughs> I'm an addict, and I like to do things. It's like, um, it's funny, when I got my sponsor, and um, I was ready to gung-ho, and she said, okay, call me tomorrow, and it was like, huh? You know, I wanted this list about this long, but I think in some way it was like our higher power working with us because if she had given me a list, I would have been okay for three weeks and then I'd been gone. And instead she gave me these little tiny baby steps to do that I could do with no problem, and it helped me build a foundation of recovery that, you know, stays with me one day at a time. Um, this program, wow, um, I love the saying for this convention, Beyond Our Wildest Dreams, because truly I feel that in my heart that 12-step um, programs, and especially Overeaters Anonymous, because it is my primary um, drug of choice, that it helps me um, live a life that I never thought would be possible. Today I am a mother of an adult child who will be 28 this year. Um, yes, for those of you that don't want to do the math, I was 15 when I had my daughter. And um, this year, um, she gave me my second grandchild. I have a granddaughter who's five that I got to spend the day with yesterday. And be a grandmother um, to this child and be totally present and let my inner child come out and play with her and yet also be an adult, all because I'm abstinent today. I'm willing to work the steps on a continuous basis. I'm willing to be abstinent today no matter what, um, one day at a time. And I, I use the tools. I, I don't do it perfectly at any given time, but um, I do love to write, journaling, and there'll be times when I do it and I don't. I heard someone say that when life's going great, I don't journal, but when life really sucks, I'm journaling up a storm, and I find that that happens for me. Um, and I, I make phone calls. Um, I have it in my planner in my phone um, at 5 o'clock to use a tool and, um, and read this writing that I recently wrote to help me um, stay abstinent and be in the moment and think about recovery because I'm really good about it in the morning time, but come the evening time, I'm tired and my compulsive mind says, food. And so I need something to kind of draw me back in and help me use what works for me, which are the tools and the steps and reaching out to all of you. Um, I am self-employed, and this past April I celebrated seven years of being self-employed. And I remember the first year or two I had this one customer from, I like to say, hell. And um, later I found out, unfortunately, she had mental illness, and so it wasn't me. I always thought it was me. And um, But today I see, and it, it kind of, my sponsor reminds me, see, look how far you've come. Look how far the program has helped you, look how much recovery you have, because the customers I have today are very loving and kind, and, um, and I attract what I become, and, um, and that's really wonderful. And when I'm kind of like, because I went through a period of that, I kept thinking, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And I remember that saying, you know, when I'm pointing a finger or two at you, there's three of them pointing back at me, and I have to, like, check in and see what's going on with me. Something that I've... Um, has really strengthened in recovery and in my abstinence is my intuition. And when I think about um, life goals, I think about uh, my abstinence and intuition because it helps me get in touch with what it is that Stephanie wants. When I was out there using food, I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know what I liked. For most of my adult years, 
I would see people around me who would have hobbies, and I was so envious of it because I didn't know what I liked to do and or I didn't think that I could do it. And something that I've discovered this time around in recovery is that I found out that I love photography. It was something that um, I did as a child once and just loved it, and I'm doing it now as an adult. Um, another thing is, is to paint. It's so much fun. It's like I never thought I could paint. was just dabble in that a little bit. Um, just recently gardening. You know, I would always admire people who would have a beautiful yard and, um, and just had healthy plants. And now I've started to do that, and it's because of this program. It grounds me, and it, it helps me to take care of myself. When I think of recovery, I think of self-care. And, um, and to be out there in the dirt and watching things grow, you know, and going and watering it, it's like I have to remember I have to take care of myself, too. And so in taking care of something else, it's almost like mirroring what I'm doing in my life. And I, it, it just feels really good, and, I, and it amazes me. Um, what my higher power can bring into my life because of recovery, because of the willingness and the courage. And, and I see that in everyone in this room, that we all have the courage to walk into these rooms because this is a deadly, debilitating disease. And I remember when I was 36 and over 200 pounds and I felt like I was 56, I was actually the walking dead. I didn't know myself anymore. And today that isn't what's going on in my life because of the steps and the tools. Um, one of my life goals was to have a partner in my life that I loved and who I could play with and have a good time and share my life with. And because of recovery, um, I was able to do that the first time around. I met my husband, who was then my boyfriend. And then when I left, um, the relationship <laughs> became a little chaotic and and I reached for food, and luckily, um, when I came back in, our relationship grew and became stronger, and I was given tools that I could use. My sponsor, you know, she's just been a really a godsend. I mean, she's got 15, 20 years of recovery, and she's someone who has walked the road ahead of me, and she shares with me what she has done and what she has heard other people do, and it's someone that I could reach to because, you know, before recovery, I always turned to food. I turned to that bag of crunchy stuff. I turned to that bag of sweet things to help me get through whatever um, life challenge was ahead of me. And today I don't have to do that. Today I can reach out to the people in my life that have recovery, that keep coming back no matter what, one day at a time and walking through the difficult times. And I can reach out to them and say, what have you done in this situation? What can I do? And um, I have very loving relationships today. I remember one of the things that I had always wanted, my sister and I, in our teen years and early 20s, we didn't get along very well. And when I came back from recovery, one of my dreams was I had hoped that we would become friends one day. Hopefully, as we got older, that would happen. And today, I can say we have become friends. And last summer, we um, spent a day at the beach with my two nieces, and I left that day from having fun with them, and it was just like, I had tears rolling down my eyes because it was like the dream that I had wanted was coming true, and I knew it was because of my higher power and the willingness to do the footwork no matter what. Even when it sucked and I didn't want to do it, um, sometimes I didn't and sometimes I did, and it was really paid off when I did. And, and that's why I keep coming back because I want to have the gifts I, I remember what it was like um, before recovery, and I don't want to go back there. And I know that 
anything's possible um, through doing the footwork and keep coming back. And I just pray that I, I do, and I hope that all of you do too. So thank you for letting me share. Okay, we're now going to have our speakers respond to the questions in the Ask It basket. So uh, there's a couple that are personalized here, but here's one just generally speaking. The question is, after many years in OA, I still am not at my goal weight. I'm gaining. Any ideas to get me back on track? Would like to respond. Okay, great. Ron. Hi, Monica, a reader. Hi, and what I had a sponsor give me some advice on that, and that was that if I find myself struggling with the program, struggling with, with the weight, struggling with keeping abstinent, then, um, then I get to the point where I finally have to say, you know, I can't do this anymore. And his response to that is, congratulations, you're now at step one. Thanks, Ron. Stephanie or Francie like to be fine. Stephanie, compulsive overeater. This is a very interesting question because I, in the past two years, have fluctuated with a weight gain of five to ten pounds, and um, that, what Ron said, was exactly when I came to that point was like, oh, yeah, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to control it. I'm here because I'm a compulsive overeater, and I love food. And, um, and that's why I put in my phone day planner to have it ring in the evening to remind me because I wasn't doing those things that could help me because I, on my own, um, am a compulsive overeater. I can't do it by myself. And so I... Um, read this writing that I wrote about, you know, what it's about. To me, my disease is a disease of more. I want more X, Y, and Z. And it's not about that. Moderate is enough food for my body. And so what do I need to do? I need to turn away from the food and either use one of the tools, whether it be journaling before dinner, um, making a phone call before dinner, making that connection with another compulsive overeater, or um, reading a piece of literature. And that really helps. And then planning out my food before I take that first bite of my meal. And Francie's going to respond. Francie, compulsive overeater. Um, I had that problem just a few years ago of um, feeling like I wanted to go back and forth with the food. And I called someone. They suggested to me that I go to a newcomer's meeting, which I did, and announced um, my name, Compulsive Reader, and that um, I'm here as a newcomer today because I am at step one again. I always will be. And I needed to hear um, the tools again. And I needed to hear about the program as if um, I was in there for the first time. And it did help me, but also a tool that I use is, I, I did speak about the God box and my gratitude journal, but um, I found myself staring at um, my son's food in the restaurant, which I used to, well, instead of staring, I used to, you know, just take the food. But um, anyway, the progress that I had to write about to pat myself on the back, which I would strongly encourage anyone to do, is... Um, 
Yes, I stared at his food, but I did not touch it. And I, I wasn't intending to touch it, but I, I mean, I could have ordered that food. And in other words, I didn't order it, I didn't eat it, but yes, I stared. But I had to write, write, write about that, and then that obsession was lifted. But there's other diversionary tactics to use, and some people might do a little um, exercise, some people might take a walk, and um, I, I would strongly advise um, getting, an, maybe it's another sponsor, maybe maybe it's making more phone calls, but for me personally, the telephone, literature, and writing is so are so essential for me and my recovery. Thank you. And the next question was addressed to Francie. You work with severely disabled students. How do you deal with the stress at work without food? Francie, compulsive reader. That is a, an interesting question considering I have a refrigerator, stove, microwave, and a whole kitchen set up in my classroom. And I... Um, worked hard on staying away from the kitchen all my life because I knew if I was in it, I'd eat. Um, and I'm supposed to teach the students how to cook and uh, use microwaves and such. Um, I, I don't consider my job high stress. I, I know other people do. They look at what I do and they say, oh, my God, you know, or other people choose not to take one step into my classroom. I love what I do with a passion, and so does everyone that works with me. Um, otherwise, you couldn't be doing what I do and, and even pretend to, to halfway like it. Um, so um, to me, the stressors are not this at all the students, it's the computer. So um, because the IEPs have to be on the computer now. Um, but occasionally it is the students when I have been assaulted, um, but then I have learned how to, um, I've learned other techniques. and. Before program, yes, of course it was food, it was victimized, well, look at me, well, so-and-so did this to me, and blah, blah, blah. And now, because of program, I have finally learned the other language of what part did I play in this. In other words, perhaps I was standing in the wrong place. Perhaps I did say something that triggered the, that person. So the food hasn't really entered into it, uh, but when we are having these lovely parties in my classroom, whenever someone has a birthday, I'm the actual person sometimes that bakes because I just don't eat certain things and it has, isn't a temptation. Um, I will not do certain things if that particular thing is a temptation for me. Um, so lots of phone calls, though. I have my cell phone with me. I have a classroom phone and writing. But I, I didn't realize this, but I do talk to people in program multiple times throughout the day and even on my drive, and, and it helps me tremendously. Thanks. This question is addressed to Ron. What is your spiritual program? How do you incorporate your program daily? Okay. How much time do we have? <laughs> um, the very first component of my spiritual program is fundamentally remembering that I spell my name R-O-N, not G-O-D. Once I'm reminded of that, I can move on from there. Um, I have a routine that I do every single day, and the first thing I do, I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, I do my prayer and meditation, and then I uh, make my uh, my lunch, have my breakfast, call my sponsor, 
And when I call my sponsor, I, I tell him what I'm going to eat for that day. So I tell, uh, phone in my food. So I make a commitment. Uh, to me, that's a spiritual commitment uh, to my food plan because then uh, when, when uh, a meal time does come around, that it doesn't have to be a um, anxiety-producing event. Instead, it can be just a matter-of-fact event. Like it says, just for today, I have a program. I may not follow it exactly, but it'll keep me from those two paths, hurry and indecision. The other thing that I do is, um, b- before I start each meal, I sit down and I pray. I ask God to keep me abstinent through this meal and not eat more than what my body needs. And when I, um, ask, when I ask that in prayer, the prayer is always answered. He always lets me know when it's enough and, and lets it be enough. Um, there's some times when I'm finished eating and I might think, wow, um, I could still use some more. But what I, what I do is I just say, God, let it be enough. And you know what? Within, within five minutes, uh, I'm full, I'm satisfied, and I can move on to other things in, in life. Uh, another part of my spiritual program is, is doing service. Um, and that includes you know, going to meetings. Uh, I've, I've done service in uh, taking committee uh, positions, such as on the uh, uh, retreat committee. Um, and um, whatever I can do to be of service to help others, whether it's set up chairs or, or make coffee, be secretaries, all those uh, um, kinds of things. And also, I find that um, I always include God in all my plans because um, I'm, I'm so tempted to want to do it my way. And I don't know if any of you saw that movie, Evan Almighty, um, but it, there's this one scene in there where um, Morgan Freeman plays God, and so he's, he's talking to God. He's telling him all of his plans, and as Maurice talks about his plans to God, God just bursts out laughing, you know. And, uh, you know, if you want to make God laugh, tell him what your plans are, you know, and it just, it just really hit his funny bone. So what I do is I just ask for the knowledge of God's will for me and the power and strength to carry it out. And, and you know what? Whenever I do that, um, I, get the, I get the answer. The answer will come. And, and if I'm unsure, I just move in a direction. And if it's not right, then I'll turn directions. But there's no going back. I, it's always moved forward. And also, part of my spiritual program is combating those um, tapes, that committee, those words, those sick people in my head that keep reminding me of what a piece of shit I am and how awful things are, can be and how um, I'm not going to amount to anything. And so... I got a very good affirmation from my sponsor on, uh, on how to handle that. And what I have been taught to say is this. I would say, just for today, I let go of all those sick illusions of who I am. And I let my Father in Heaven tell me who I really am. And that really helps me. So um, with all that, uh, this is a spiritual program of recovery. I, by relying upon God for everything that I do and, and asking Him to show me the way, that has made all the difference for me because on my own, I could never do anything. But by having a daily routine and doing it consistently, um, that has helped tremendously. One of the things it says in the Fourth Today book is uh, the only form of uh, permanent, only form of uh, permanence is through repetition. And so I find that by continuing to be consistent and doing things over and over again, it becomes permanent in my life. So that's a synopsis of my spiritual program. Thanks. Okay, we have one last question, but before I read this, could we have any of those that wish to share come and sit over here, please? And then we'll have them sign the speaker release form. Okay, the last question, addressed to anyone. 
I want to have relationships with people, but I always find myself being angry. And I'm scared at my anger, and I'm scared at people's reactions to my anger. What can I do? Who'd like to respond? Stephanie. At first I went, hmm, and then a thought came to me. Um, I would suggest dialoguing with your anger, finding out um, the way I do it with my inner child is I, you know, just as if she's a person sitting here. So I would suggest um, having your anger sit next to you and just dialogue. You say to it however it's affecting your life and then let it speak to you and write whatever. And you can use alternating hands. You write with your left and when it's your anger speaking, write with your... I mean, you write with whatever hand's dominant for you and let your anger um, speak to you in the other hand and just see what comes out. It may be very interesting to you. There could be a lot of pain underneath your anger, and um, and oftentimes it's something that needs to be addressed. I know I had a lot of issues when I came into recovery. I went to therapy and did um, groups um, to help me be a healthier person. Um, you know, we're not here just because of the food. It's so much more, and yet it is the food. So. And Ron, you'd like to respond to that? Thank you. One of the things that my sponsor had told me is that with, with other people, tell me what you hate, and I'll tell you who you are. And my experience has been that whenever I encounter another person and I, and I feel distress, and, and the person, by, uh, if there's something that they're doing that really gets under my skin, I start getting anger and resentment about it, or something that just really bugs me, I realize that God has put this person into my life for healing because it reveals something about me. It's like putting a big mirror in front of myself. So when I'm um, experiencing other, other people that I find discomfort with, what I'm really finding is discomfort with myself. As one story goes, if you take um, salt and throw it at somebody, um, the only if they don't have any sores, it's not going to do anything to them. But if they have a sore, it's going to sting. So, as a result, if, if I'm feeling a sting, then there's something in me. It's not any other person. Thank you. Okay. Well, we'll now have three-minute shares. Please focus on the topic of OA principles. And those principles are honesty, hope, faith, courage, integrity, willingness, humility, self-discipline, love, perseverance, spiritual awareness, unity, trust, open-mindedness, responsibility, acceptance, equality, and fellowship. And you must sign the tape of these form before sharing. Okay, our first person, Kristen. Hi, my name is Christy, and I am a compulsive overeater. And I uh, just want to thank the speakers, uh, just fabulous sharers. I came here because I wanted to hear about um, uh, living a life of sanity and happy, joyous, and free, and it sounds like you all are. And um, that's very inspiring to me. And I want to be able to practice these principles in all of my affairs, and, uh, and I haven't been practicing them in my job and um, I am the person that asked the question about special ed because I'm a special ed teacher. And so um, it's been really inspiring to hear these shares. And um, I just am grateful to be at the convention and 
as far as willingness goes, I was listening to the principles so I could try to remember to think about these as I'm talking, but I've been in the program since uh, 1987 um, nonstop, and I'm not at my goal weight. I've had a lot of relapses, but um, I have a lot of willingness to come back, and I keep coming back, and I keep coming back, and I and uh, and I keep showing up and suiting up, and uh, if you're struggling, then just keep coming back, and I know that uh, I've heard something, every relapse has an end to it, so um, hopeful. <laughs> Thank you. And our next person is Sharon. I will try very briefly. I know I have three minutes. I'm Sharon. Hello, everybody. Hi, Sharon. Nice to see you. <clears throat> I stopped weighing myself at 250 pounds. I didn't want to know more. You understand. It's very impactful for me to see you. An ever more reaching, far-reaching vision is one of our metaphors in this club that I've been in 20 years this year. Thanks to you and the 12 Steps. I'm getting a doctorate in psychoanalysis thanks to this club and you. Every person that I meet in this club, Robert Frost, whom I connected to as a teenager on my Illinois farm that belonged to my family, he said that he trusted nouns, but he wasn't too sure about adjectives and maybe adverbs. Every person is a noun and adverbs and adjectives because every person is also a story. My daughter, who's 23, and we both live in Lancaster with my husband, we're down here because of this and our son lives here in San Diego. She recently said, Mom, why do you wear contact lenses? She said, you wear contact lenses and glasses to see for reading, and you have more than one pair of glasses. And I said, when are you going to ask me why? I said, when are you going to ask me why? Psychoanalysis and this program are all about why, how, when, where, what, with your sponsors and mine. Well, it's a long story too long for here. And it relates to the farm also. And I said, sometimes, Olivia, I cross my eyes to see double. It's fun to see double. It's double your pleasure. Now then, another metaphor is a higher power. You have yours and I have mine. I started back in the 70s with my degree in social work, which is about multiple perspectives. Einstein in physics. Relativity also applies in here and psychoanalysis. Multiple valid perspectives. I'm 12-stepping. Okay? In other words, 
what applies to you and your spouse. Depends on where you're standing on which side of the railroad tracks. When the train comes from Lancaster, where we live currently, to San Diego, or if it's coming from San Diego to Lancaster. So, feelings are valid, no matter what they are. In other words, psychology and psychoanalysis is about insight, which I needed. This program is about awareness, which we all need. Okay. The big book, at one point in one story, pans psychology. That's only one person that does that. Now, I got down about psychology in my life at several times. When I questioned what my food was doing and cleaned that up, psychology then helped me because this program helped me. Three minutes is up. Now then, social work taught me on the day that I was listening, back in 1973-ish, because I go so far back, as Paul McCartney says, I'm ahead of me at times. <laughs> that to be an open system. Okay? General systems theory. Human behavior class. She said, mark my words. It's going to be the theory that's around next century. For some reason, I was listening. This program teaches you how to be open. Unless you just don't want to and you're too stubborn. I've been there and done that. Surrender is the goddamn hardest thing I've ever done in my entire Liebenhausen. German word. I'm sorry, it cussed. My grandpa taught me how. That's a big story. He never untaught me. Now then, so I gathered, if I'm an open system, it's going to work better. And there was going to be, they said, an information explosion near the end of the 20th century. And you know what? It's even more today. There's one of them, an information station across the hallway. Gussy up, listen up, and show up. Bye. Okay. Our next speaker will be Martine. Hi, I'm Martine, and I'm a compulsive eater. And uh, I was just thinking about the topic of, you know, achieving life goals and how program has helped me get there. And what popped into my mind was um, one of my big life goals in my 20s was to get out of insurance. Um, I worked in insurance, and I was really, really bored, um, and I wanted to get out, and I didn't know what to do, and I tried um, going into a couple jobs and didn't work. So then I realized um, that maybe graduate school would be the way to go, and um, so I chose a field to get into, um, and I went into a program, and, you know, in college, when, you know, a lot of us have probably put ourselves through college, um, you know, it's often one of the best ways to make money, um, and I went to school at San Diego State, um, one of the best ways to, um, make money is in the, the food services industry, um, and that's a dangerous place for, for me, because I'm a compulsive eater. Um, but, you know, there, there aren't a lot of part-time jobs um, that where you make a, a decent amount of money, and I needed the money. Uh, I was living on loans, and um, I was pretty strapped. So what I did was I mostly did, um, like, catering jobs and actually, like, banquet work in hotels um, and um, some food service in, like, cafes. And, and um, if I hadn't had a program, I could not have done those jobs. 
um, because I don't eat sweets. That's part of my abstinence is I don't eat anything that qualifies as a dessert food. And um, there's a lot of food in, in food service, <laughs> um, and there's a lot of sweets in food service. And there were, you know, days where a lot of times when you work in banquets, in hotels, there's like an employee cafeteria somewhere, and you go back there, and a lot of times there's leftovers from banquets. And a lot of times the leftovers from banquets are the sweets. And I worked with a lot of other people, and I had a friend who um, we would come back, and um, my friend would make a beeline for the for the refrigerator in there, and what was in there was sweets. And I was watching my friend compulsively eating the sweets and thinking, that could so be me. Um and I'm, I was so, it was so strange of the compulsive overeater that the only feeling I felt was relief that I didn't have to do that. Instead of feeling resentful that I wasn't getting to have that, which is how I would have felt if I wasn't in program. I would have felt resentful that, that I didn't get to have that food. Um, you know, and, and so I believe that it's definitely my program that, that partly helped me achieve the goal of going to graduate school. Um, because I needed money, and, and that was the way that I made it. But that said, I also was clear because of my program that I'm a compulsive eater and that it is not worth it to me to um, lose my abstinence from my worst problem food, which is sweets. And so I said and so in a meeting, and I meant it, that if I ever went to work one day and felt that I could not get through the day without going back to sweets, that I would quit on the spot. I made that commitment. It is not worth it. There is no job that is worth losing my abstinence from sweets, and if I have to find another way, I was willing to do that. Um, and I think, again, it was program that gave me that clarity and that strength to make um, good choices and to recognize if I couldn't handle a situation. So anyway, thank you very much. And our next speaker is Conscious. Anyone else wishing to speak, please come forward. Hi, everybody. My name is Constance Grateful Recovering Food Addict. I write down my food from my food plan, call it into my sponsor, eat the food I commit, nothing more, nothing less, nothing in between, and recovery is the most important thing in my life today. And because of the fellowship of all the 12-step rooms and by the power I'm finding to working the steps in the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, I haven't found it necessary to use food since 666. And for this, I am very grateful. And yes, it was a showdown with the devil at the time. Thank you very much to all the speakers. You know, when, when I was in my disease at 250 pounds, isolated in my apartment, I was, I was insane. And I was all about, I was like an Amazon woman, and I was all about if I had the right book, if I had the right course, and I just set all these goals and set all these plans and did all these to-do lists and had all these charts. And, and it was insane. And I had no tools on how to live a life and deal with life, and it was all exterior goals and, and visions, and I couldn't get the whole, I didn't even set a goal of having a life, like a, a relaxed, serene life with kids and family and friends. Like, that wasn't even important because I didn't think it was achievable, and I certainly didn't set a goal to lose weight when I came to OA. I just wanted to maintain 250 because once I got the death job just kept coming on coming on coming, and I had never lost weight before and so I didn't care if I lost it because that was part of my defiance and grandiosity and my passive aggressive way to piss off the world so if I could just maintain 250 I didn't want it to keep coming on and so I showed up and 
I, I, I was taught through working the book, there's only two questions to figure it out if I'm a food addict. When I start, can I stop? And when I stop, can I stay stopped? And that's all I needed to hear. And then to come to the rooms and hear people that now have lives and have eaten the way I've eaten and haven't for years, they didn't even have to say anything. They could just stand at the podium. And if they did that for 20 years, I was just in amazement looking at them. That's all there was to it. And so and there was a hope because I didn't know I could stop doing something I couldn't stop doing. And the real pain is when that was a long time I wanted to do it. But then the real pain came when I didn't want to do it anymore and I kept it and I couldn't not do it. And then the worst pain came when I was in recovery and I didn't want to eat and I did want to eat. And I was dry and I, was, I didn't work the steps and I didn't have a program. And that's almost worse than being in the food for me. So... I'm grateful because of this program. It, I heard people with lives. I heard people with problems. I was working in the entertainment industry, and I was totally disconnected, and everybody was perfect, and nobody had any problems. And I went to my first OA meeting in a basement, and people were, like, taking the bus and missing teeth. I was just like, thank you, God. You know, I just wasn't I, – I was so disconnected from real people. And people in 7-Eleven don't turn around and say, oh, you know, I, I couldn't pay my electricity this month, and it's been really rough. I wasn't hearing that from anywhere. So I thought I was the only one, like – not able to live life. So there's a blueprint on how to do it, and there's a solution. Food isn't my solution anymore, and that was my solution. There's a solution today. I'm glad everyone's here. Thank you. And our next speaker is Pat. Hi, everybody. My name is Pat. I'm a compulsive overeater from Northern California. And thanks to these speakers on the panel, I really appreciated hearing what you all had to say. Um, there's one thing that I've gotten out of this program that I never th thought I lacked until I realized that I now have it, and that's courage. Um, I worked on the same job for almost 36 years, which to some people sounds like stability. It was fear. It was just fear that if I left it, my whole life would fall apart and I wouldn't have any money and I'd be homeless and I'd be out on the street and I wouldn't have anything to eat and um, life would be just a total disaster. And I, I worked in the newspaper business all that time. And in the past couple of years, I've been learning that my life has a lot more to it than just newspaper work. I gained the courage to start volunteering at an animal shelter Dogs are my life. I've always loved dogs, but, you know, it would never be, occur to me that that could be something that I could do with a large portion of my life. And for several years, I would just go and walk dogs and train dogs once a week for a couple of hours. Well, uh, about a year and a half ago, my company started really falling apart, and they were offering buyouts. And I said, oh, yeah, I want one. Here I am. Give me the buyout. Give me the money. And, you know, they said, you know, we need you. You're really good. We don't want to give you a buyout. And uh, the old me, before I had a higher power who said, you're going to be all right, the old me would have said, oh, okay, they love me. I'll come. I'll keep working, you know, an extra 10 hours a week or whatever just to make them happy. And instead I said, screw you folks. I am leaving anyway. So I left probably $70,000 less money in my pocket than, than had they given me the, the buyout. But, you know, to this day, a year and a half later, I do not regret it. It has been the best decision I've ever made. 
I'm still volunteering at the shelter, only I'm doing it more. Um, I'm starting my own business, a very small business. I'm never going to make any money at it. I'll be lucky to break even, but but it, it feeds my soul. I'm going to be um, an uh, adoption counselor for people who want a dog and don't know what to do, don't know what kind of dog they want, and I will guide them through it. And, you know, you can't get rich at something like that. Who's going to want to pay me $500 to find a dog? They want to pay me $10. (laughs) Well, we'll negotiate somewhere in between. But this is all stuff that I never would have had the courage to do, mainly because of my fear of economic insecurity. But the promises say, um, I guess it's after the ninth, that fear, um, fear of economic insecurity will leave us. Well, it's left me. Um, a little over a month ago, my husband got laid off from his job. Good-paying job with full benefits. Company was sold, and he was miserable. And my first reaction, other than, oh, my God, the sky's falling down, which is, you know, would have been my normal reaction, was, thank you, God. This is the best thing you could have done for this family. And he's been really happy, and, you know, God provides the job that he was doing for a nonprofit, which is a, a it's a music club that um, um, a folk music society, and he's just been working for them for for not a whole lot of money, but just to do them a favor. Well, they want to hire him three quarters time for a decent salary, and it's the the love of his life. He loves music as much as I love dogs, and he's going to get to do what he does really well, and. Um, He's going to be, well, he is happy. He's already happy. And I'm happy, and, you know, it's all because of this program. Thank you, God. Hi, I'm Mary Compulsive Eater. And I just wanted to share, somebody had asked about being a long time in recovery and um, gaining weight and not being able to lose it. Um, I've been clean and abstinent for uh, 18 years now, and I just came back from Spain, and I had gained four pounds. And to me, four pounds is no different from 40 pounds if you can't lose it. And a couple of things that have occurred to me. I started out in treatment, and when I was in treatment, I was given a food plan. And it was the ADA food plan, and it was basically weigh and measure. And I had four starches, uh, four dairies, four fruits, four vegetables, and four um, proteins. Well, it seems like every 10 years, I had to give up some of that food. There's a fact about life, and that is as we age, we need less calories. So if we're going to maintain the same body weight that we had, that I had 20 years ago when I was 35, I'm going to have to give up some food. And that's what I'm facing right now. If I want to lose weight, I'm going to have to give up some food. And that's a real hard thing to do. I'm real angry about that. You know, I've been abstinent for 18 years, damn it. I don't need to give up some more food. I mean, look at all that I've given up. But you know what? I also don't want to be 40 or 50 pounds overweight either. And, you know, it's just a fact of life. So as you age and in your recovery, you're going to have to eat less. This is the facts, folks. And the other thing that I've had to do is, because sometimes, I don't know about you all, but I'm a compulsive overeater. And as a compulsive overeater, my eyes don't see right. 
Number one, it doesn't see my body right. And number two, it doesn't see a bowl of cereal correctly. And it doesn't see uh, uh, some rice on a, on, you know, brown rice on a plate or a piece of meat. And so I'm back to weighing and measuring simply because I have to get my eyes back used to what is a moderate portion. And I am surprised how far off the point I can get by just eating and, you know, not weighing and measuring. Before I know it, this portion gets larger and larger and larger, just like my body gets larger and larger and larger. And on some days, my body looks 20 pounds heavier, you know, and it all has to do with the relationship with God. And the other thing I know is that if you're having trouble with the food, and this is something that I've done a lot, is whenever I'm really having trouble with the food, I get to more meetings. And many a time I've done 30 meetings in 30 days, 60 meetings in 60 days, and if the food still isn't corrected, it's 90 meetings in 90 days. It's a meeting every single day. And between those meetings, I can eat abstinently. And I can eat at a weight, uh, eat the types of food that I can maintain a healthy body weight. The other thing is, is I went and got a master's degree in exercise physiology because I figured that I could control my weight that way by working as a professional fitness trainer and um, instructor. And I found out, I learned some things. And number one is that exercise, and I do hope that, and I want to get on world service so that I can make this and uh, hopefully get this to be a tool. But exercise is a very important tool. And if you're, you know, exercising for 20 minutes, you raise your metabolic rate. Do you know that for seven hours after you exercise, your metabolic rate is increased, so you're burning more fat? And so that's another key is that if you're eating in sedentary and if you're used to cutting out a lot of food, our bodies have a wonderful, especially women, wonderful mechanism of feast and famine. And when you're in famine, the basal metabolic rate drops, and you need less food. And so it's really important to keep that metabolic rate even every five hours as opposed to constantly depriving our bodies of food. Thanks. Okay, it's now time to close the meeting. Let's thank our speakers and everyone who shared and our timer. Will those who care to please stand and join hands as we close with, I put my hand in yours. Thank you.